Uh, hi everyone, great to see you again, uh, even if it has to be over a screen for now. Uh, well, we're talking about the Ten Commandments and today the fourth command, the Sabbath, probably the commandment of the Ten that causes the most arguments among Christians. Uh, is it a commandment we're still supposed to obey? I mean, no one's confused about whether we should obey uh, the commandments not to murder or lie or steal, for example, um, but lots of confusion about the Sabbath. Well, God doesn't want us to be confused. He wants us to know what pleases him uh, and what is good for us. And uh, my prayer for you is that by the time we're done, you'll have a clear understanding of the Sabbath and of what it means for you. Well, this is how we're going to proceed. We're going to ask and answer three big questions. The first question, what is the Sabbath? Second question, why did God command the Sabbath? And third, the big question, must you keep the Sabbath? So again, what is the Sabbath? Why did God command it? And do you have to keep it? Well, the first two questions are easy. What is the Sabbath and why did God command it? Those are easy to answer because the Bible tells us very plainly. And we'll go to the Bible for those answers in just a moment. But the third question, do you have to keep the Sabbath? We're not asking if Old Testament Israel had to keep the Sabbath. We're asking if you and I have to keep it. Well, that's a much more difficult question. Uh, it'll take a little digging to get to that answer. But uh, isn't it true that the most precious treasures often lie buried beneath the surface of things? So let's look forward to finding some treasure when we get there in a few minutes. But we'll start with what's on the surface. Questions one and two, and we will slowly dig our way deeper. Okay, so what is the Sabbath and why did God command it? I'd like you to follow with me in your Bibles, if you would, and we'll look again at that passage, Exodus chapter 20, from verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so what is the Sabbath? Well, the answer is right there. It's a day, one in every seven, to be kept holy by God's people. What does it mean to keep the day holy? To rest from your work. And, as far as it depends on you, to guard the rest of those under your care, your children, your employees, and all others whose ability to rest requires you to stop working and rest. It's a day off for you and a day off for all those whose work and rest is determined by you. Now, there are other places in Scripture where God explains certain exceptions, some kinds of work that can continue on the Sabbath. But the general rule is very clear, a day to stop your normal work. Keep it holy, God said. Well, that means set it aside from all other days as special. Specifically, as verse 10 says, keep it to the Lord. Uh, in other words, the rest is not aimless, but God-centered rest. On the Sabbath, we give attention to God in a way that is more intentional and more sustained than on other days. Keep the day holy by 
resting from your work and focusing your heart on the holy God. Now, uh, it's not here in Exodus, but later in the Old Testament, in, um, in the book of Leviticus, God fleshes this command out and says, the seventh day is a day of rest and of sacred assembly. In other words, it's a day for God's people to rest from their ordinary work and to allow others to rest from theirs, as far as you're able, and to gather together to worship, sacred assembly. So we're building up a picture from the scriptures of what the Sabbath is. And there's one more important thing to say about that from these verses. Notice in verse 11 that the Sabbath is a day the Lord has blessed and made holy. Well, that's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you keep your place in Exodus, and uh, we'll come back to it in just a sec, but turn back to Genesis chapter 2. Um, I want you to see this with your own eyes. It really is important. Uh, Genesis 2 and from verse 1. God finished his work of creation, and on the seventh day he rested. Do you see that in verse 2? And here comes the bit that Exodus quotes in verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Well, what does that mean? It means that all of creation was as it was meant to be. The whole world was perfect. Adam and Eve lived in an unblemished, unstained, unspoiled paradise. In an unblemished, unstained, unspoiled relationship with one another and with God. Everything was as it was meant to be. It was blessed by God, sanctified by him, made holy by him, set apart by him for his people to enjoy communion with him. Everything was as it was meant to be. Now come back to Exodus chapter 20. Notice how verses 8 and 11 work with each other. Verse 11 God has made the Sabbath day holy. Now verse 8, you keep it holy. It is a blessed and holy day. That is objectively so because God has made it so. Now you, in your heart and in your practice, keep it holy. Live in line, in other words, with God's reality. This day is blessed and holy. So set it apart as holy in your hearts and enter into the God-blessedness of it. Okay, so now we know what the Sabbath is. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to give a quick answer to question one to whoever is sitting with you. So here's a summary of where we are so far. What is the Sabbath? And this is the answer we've built up from the Bible. Listen for the five elements. The Sabbath is one day in every seven to rest from your work, to ensure, as far as it depends on you, that others are also able to rest, to join in sacred assembly with God's people, to turn your heart to God and enjoy the blessing of his presence and fellowship. Okay, before we move on to question two, I want you to turn to whoever you're sitting with now and answer that question. What is the Sabbath? Or if you're not with someone at the moment, answer it for yourself. Uh, either say, say it out loud or uh, write it down. What is the Sabbath? I'll give you 20 seconds or thereabouts. Go for it.
Okay. Well done. I'm sure everyone got 100% and probably added in some good things that I hadn't brought up as well. Question two, why did God command it? Now, the answer that I've uh, often heard to that question goes something like this. We are finite creatures. We need rest and refreshing and renewing physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We need a day off to recharge, to refresh, to renew. And that's surely good and wise and true. But it's not what the Bible says. Look at the passage with me again. Exodus 20 from verse 8. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. On the seventh day you will rest, etc., etc. And now verse 11. Four. So here comes the purpose statement. God is about to tell us the reason for the Sabbath. For, here it comes, in six days the Lord did his work of creation, but he rested on the seventh day. Who rested on the seventh day? The Lord rested. God commands his people to Sabbath not because they need to rest, although that's true. But because on the seventh day, he rested. The Sabbath command is a command to be with him and to do what he is doing with him, to join him in enjoying what he has made. The Genesis 2 creation in its as yet unspoilt perfection, to join him in the blessedness of that first seventh day. Now, uh, turn if you wish, or I'll just read it to you. But if you go forward to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, what's going on here is that the older generation of Israel have died in the wilderness, and Moses is teaching the younger generation. He's telling them all about God's ways, God's purposes, um, how God rescued their fathers and mothers from slavery in Egypt. And as part of that teaching, he restates the Ten Commandments. And they're almost word for word the same as how God stated them in Exodus chapter 20, which we've just looked at. Well, almost the same, but not quite. What's different is the purpose clause, the reason for the Sabbath day command. So look with me from verse 12, if you're there, of Deuteronomy 5. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. On the seventh day you will rest, etc., etc. So up to this point, it's all the same thing as we've already read. But now we get to verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Well, do you see the logic of verse 15? The Lord rescued you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. So in Exodus, the commandment is, remember Sabbath rest, keep it holy, because God rested on the seventh day. And in Deuteronomy, the commandment is, remember Sabbath rest, keep it holy, because God saved you from slavery and death. Now, we're starting to dig deeper here, but stay with me. It will be worth it. We have the Sabbath commandment twice, first with a reason that attaches to creation, and second with a reason that attaches to the great salvation event of the Old Testament, 
the Exodus. But they're pointing to the same thing. Remember the first reason. Keep the Sabbath holy in your heart and in your practice because on that very first seventh day, God rested. But remember God rested with his people in perfect relationship, in an unspoilt creation. And the second reason points to the same thing. Keep the Sabbath holy in your heart and in your practice because God saved his people from slavery in Egypt. And what was that salvation for? God delivered his people from Egypt to take them where? To the promised land. Now that first gener generation didn't make it to the promised land because they would not trust God. But listen to what God says of them in Psalm 95. He says, for 40 years, that generation put me to the test. They went astray in their hearts, and therefore I swore they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter, note, my rest. God says that the promised land was a picture and a foretaste of his rest. In other words, both that very first seventh day and the gift of the promised land were pictures and foretastes of the same thing. Now, let's think for a moment about the gift of the promised land. How did God describe it to Moses the first time? Well, uh, that's in uh, Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people in, in, in Egypt, beg your pardon. Um, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I know their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of Egypt into, here it comes, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey doesn't mean it was a big sticky mess. It means the gift of the promised land was a gift of freedom and of God's favor. Remember where Israel had come from, slavery in Egypt. And in Egyptian religion of the time, Pharaoh was a god. He was understood to be divine. The Israelites were slave laborers in Pharaoh the divine's brickworks. Now, Listen to one scholar's description of the lives of brick slaves. Brick-making operations are big business, usually resembling a fortress. Most are surrounded by high walls to keep brick poachers out and to keep slave laborers in. They have a dark, otherworldly presence to them because of the dust and smoke that hang constantly in the air coating everything within the walls with grey-red dust and soot. The kilns require extra labour because someone has to stoke the fires constantly to keep them at temperature. This is one of the worst jobs, excruciatingly hot. The workers covered with charcoal dust that mixes with the dust of clay and dirt until sweat-soaked skin begins to harden and crack. And many die in the heat blast at the mouth of the kilns. Before the bricks are even ready for the kiln, they must be shaped and pre-dried in the sun. All day long, slaves perform the back-breaking labor of packing wet clay, 
and straw into molds that form the bricks. They slap the clay into molds, forming row after row. And then other workers, usually children, carry the bricks on their heads to set them out in the sun to dry. When they're dry enough to fire, the slaves carry them to the kiln to be baked. Hour after hour, day after day, weeks that flow into months, months that fade into years. Some of these slaves have been at this dirty, tedious, painful work for decades with no relief bar death in sight. Now to a generation of brick slaves who had suffered that, how do you think they heard the promise of a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey? Rescued from a God, Pharaoh the divine, who set slave drivers over them to ruthlessly work them to death, rescued by Jehovah, the true God, who gives them the gift of freedom and of a land prepared for them, a land with cities and houses that they didn't die making bricks for, filled full of good things with wells they didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees that they didn't plant, a land in which they would eat and be full and be fruitful and multiply. And the greatest of all the blessings, a land in which the Lord himself would dwell among them, Jehovah with his people in the promised land. Doesn't that sound a lot like life in the Genesis 2 garden? So the commandment in Deuteronomy is actually the same as the commandment in Exodus. Keep the Sabbath holy in your heart and in your practice because God brought his people to enjoy rest with him on that very first seventh day. And because his rescue from Egypt to the promised land is also a picture and a foretaste of entering and enjoying perfect rest with him. Okay, we're going to uh, move on to question three, the most difficult question in a moment. But before we do, I want to summarize again. What is the Sabbath? One day in every seven to rest from your normal work and to ensure, as far as it depends on you, that others are also able to rest from their work. To join in sacred assembly with God's rescued people. To turn your heart to God and enjoy the blessing of being with him. Why? Because the Sabbath is a picture and a foretaste of the true rest to come, of how things were always meant to be. The very first seventh day pictured true rest with God and the gift of the promised land also pictured true rest with God. So now the big question, do you have to keep it? And you might ask, well, why is this even a question? Aren't these called the Ten Commandments? Doesn't that kind of give it away and settle it? Well, Israel certainly did have to keep the Sabbath. For them, it was a big deal. God actually commanded the death penalty for anyone who intentionally violated the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping was also the commandment that Jesus and the religious leaders of his day clashed over more than any other. The Pharisees actually began their scheming to kill Jesus 
exactly because he had, well, in their view anyway, broken the Sabbath command. There's no question that for Israel in times of old, that is before Jesus went to the cross, the Sabbath was really serious and God demanded of them that they keep it. But isn't it all different for us now, for Christians that is? Doesn't the cross change everything? Isn't the Sabbath gone, a thing of the past uh, and of the past alone? The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Colossian church that the Sabbath was a shadow of things to come, things which have now been fulfilled in Christ. And he says, don't let anyone judge you based on whether you keep the Sabbath or not. Well, what he means is that everyone who is a Christian, everyone who is in Christ, is already at rest, at peace with God. So don't let anyone tell you you have to keep the Sabbath to earn peace with God. You already have it. So then isn't Sabbath keeping the same sort of thing as all the temple religion of the Old Testament? All the priests and the rituals and the sacrifices, all the ceremony, they all pointed forward to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Well, he's done that now. It's over. No one thinks that the Old Testament sacrifices should carry on today. And in the same way, the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. It's all over. The shadow has given way to the substance. Well, doesn't that settle it then? Sabbath keeping is over. Well, I want to ask you what you think. Must you keep the Sabbath? I'll ask you in a moment to wave to your camera to let us know what you think. Must you keep the Sabbath? Now you can answer, yes, you must keep the Sabbath. No, Sabbath has no meaning for Christians now. Or, I'm not sure. So yes, no, or I'm not sure. So I'll ask for the yeses first. So if, if you think, yes, we must still keep the Sabbath, won't you wave at your camera now? Okay, if you say, no, the Sabbath is a thing of the past, fulfilled in Christ, it has no meaning for Christians now. No, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. Would you wave at your camera now? Okay, and uh, for those of you who would say, I'm really not sure, would you wave at your camera now? Okay, thank you. Well, let me tell you what I think. Do you have to keep the Sabbath? No, you don't have to keep it. But yes, you should want to keep it. And so you should. No, you don't have to. Yes, you should want to. And so you should. Let's start with the no part. No, you don't have to. Your salvation does not depend on Sabbath keeping. In the same way as your salvation doesn't depend on you keeping any other part of Old Testament religious practice. God will not put you to death as he once would have for breaking the Sabbath. Christian, you are free to not keep the Sabbath. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's holy law and fulfilled it in every way. If you choose to not keep the Sabbath, you are, by trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, saved. 
you are free to not keep it. No, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. And yes, you should want to keep it. And so you should. Now I'm going to give you two reasons why and then close with two points of application. Two reasons why you should want to keep the Sabbath and so should keep it. First reason. The thing that the Sabbath pictured has not fully arrived. That's the first reason. The reality that the Sabbath was and is still a foretaste of has not fully arrived. Now, remember the two reasons for the Sabbath. Remember Genesis 2, how it was a picture and a foretaste of God's people being at rest with God in his perfect creation. Well, the thing is, the Garden of Eden was not the perfect creation. It was an unspoiled creation. But the perfect creation is still coming. History is not moving back to the original creation. History is moving forward to the new creation. Now, remember also the gift of the promised land, the good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Well, history isn't moving back to Canaan. The promised land of, of uh, Exodus and of Deuteronomy was only ever a foretaste of the promised new heavens and new earth. God's promise to you, Christian, is not Jerusalem of old. It is the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God. The Sabbath day was always and still is a sign of that promise. In part, we have entered our rest in Christ, but our true and full rest is still to come. And by keeping Sabbath, which we now do on the Lord's Day, on Resurrection Day, we celebrate not only the finished work of Christ on the cross, we also anticipate the not yet finished work of Christ from the throne when he ushers in his new creation. In a world without God and without hope, apart from the gospel of Christ, your Sabbath keeping is a witness to your hope of the completion of your salvation in the soon coming new creation of Christ. Second reason why you should want to keep the Sabbath. What did Jesus do with the Ten Commandments? Now, we don't have time to do it now, but I'd encourage you, go and read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and especially Matthew chapter 5, and ask yourself, what did Jesus do with the Ten Commandments? For example, one of the commandments says, you shall not murder. But Jesus presses to the heart behind the action, and says that even hatred in your heart is a sin, let alone any violence that springs from the hatred. Same with adultery. One of the Ten Commandments says, don't commit adultery. But Jesus goes to the heart behind the action and says that even the lustful thought is a sin. Well, surely the same applies to the Sabbath. The Sabbath always aimed at the heart, not at mere formal compliance. That's what the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day and the centuries leading up to him, got wrong. They made it about technical, formal compliance. 
exactly what can you do and exactly what can't you do, exactly which lines must you stay within before you get into trouble. But it was never about mere compliance. It was always aimed at the heart. Remember, the Sabbath command says, the Lord has blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now you keep it holy. It was always about the heart behind the action. Our sinful hearts don't treasure being with God as they should. Adam and Eve back in the garden didn't treasure walking with God in the cool of the day as they should have. But through Christ, God has fixed our broken hearts. And the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And we, like Jesus, want to be with our Father. Sabbath is our Father's Day. Look carefully at what Jesus does with the Ten Commandments and imagine all those things being true in your heart. Imagine, for example, never being angry in an ungodly way. Just think what that alone, just that one commandment, alone would do to your life and the lives of those around you if in your heart you were never wrongly angry. Imagine never having lust in your heart. Imagine never desiring, coveting what somebody else has and instead being genuinely from the heart content with and delighted with what God has given you. Imagine perfectly honoring your parents. Imagine loving God with all your heart and soul. Imagine delighting in the fact, delighting in the fact that God overrides the relentless demands of the Pharaoh that lives in your bones, who never stops telling you, work harder, work more, produce more bricks, more bricks, more bricks. Imagine that. Now listen to the promise of God through the prophet Isaiah from chapter 58. If you put me first on the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delight and my holy day a joy, if you honor it, then you shall take delight in me and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. So the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a promise. Is the problem perhaps that our passions, our desires are too easily satisfied with two trivial things that we have not pursued or believed it possible to attain this kind of joy where the Lord your God says to you, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. What a promise. So Christian, do you have to keep the Sabbath? No, you don't have to. But that's the wrong question. The right question is, is it true? Is it really so, God, that I get to lay aside my normal work and help others to do the same as far as I can, to spend a day with you? Is it really true that I get to say no to all the pharaohs of this world and turn my heart at leisure and at length and in the sacred assembly of my brothers and sisters to turn my heart to you? Sabbath is for you, Christian, 
Father's Day. And you have an appointment to be with him. If the question of your heart is honestly, do I have to? Then something is amiss in your fellowship with God. It's not an intellectual or a theological problem. It should be a sign to you that something precious is missing. Sabbath, Father's Day, is a foretaste of heaven. Very soon, every day, all day, will be Father's Day. What a gift that our Father calls us, invites us to a weekly foretaste of it, even now. Well, I've uh, taken more time than I had anticipated I would get into this point, so I'm going to leave the other things um, and uh, close in prayer there, and then we'll respond in song. So won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Our Father in heaven, would you tune our hearts to celebrate the rest you have given us in and through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To the extent that all that was pictured in the garden, and all that was pictured in the Exodus, and all that was pictured in the gift of the promised land, to the extent that those things have already been realized in Christ, help us to enjoy them and celebrate them. And look forward to reminding one another of them once a week on the Lord's Day. And Father, to the extent that those things still point forward to the consummation of our salvation, to the new creation, would you tune our hearts to those things? Would you cause our desires and our passions to attach ever more to Christ? And the life to come. So that a weekly time to set aside and celebrate and look forward to. Is the highlight of our week. That it would be our experience, Father, each one of us. That we would do, as Isaiah said, or should I say, as you said through Isaiah. That we would put you first. That the Sabbath would be our delight, our joy. That we would honor it. That we wouldn't be concerned with matters of technical compliance. Can I this? Should I that? But our hearts would be given to you. And so our practice would follow. And then, Father, we will know what you have promised. Our delight will be in you. And you will make us to ride on the heights of the earth. Be glorified, Father, in this being true in our hearts and in our practice. Amen.